This was a tough, tough week for a lot of people at Lakeside. And um, so the announcement was made earlier that tomorrow will be the memorial service for, for Caden Porter. And some of you know exactly who that is. Some of you don't. Let me just give you some background a little bit. Um, uh, Ann and Rob Fryant's grandson, 16-year-old young boy born with a serious heart issue. And, uh, and this last Sunday he was in church here, 16-year-old boy. Um, and, uh, sometime this week um, he was at play practice at school and, and his heart stopped and now he is with Jesus. And I think what the family would have me tell you today uh, is that uh, we do not grieve the way the world grieves, because the world grieves without hope. We grieve with a great hope because Christ shed his blood for Caden, and Caden put his faith in Jesus, and Caden now is in the presence of the loving Savior, Jesus Christ. That being said, tomorrow we will join the family as we celebrate his life. I invite you to be there, visitations at 10, uh, the memorial services at noon. Um, the grace of Christ upon them. Uh, we invite you today to gather around the Word of God. Uh, we've been taking a deep dive into Matthew's Gospel, and Matthew shows us uh, that Jesus is the great King of Kings. He has a, a royal genealogy. He has a, a royal a birth. He has a, a coronation and his baptism. And, and Jesus shows his worthiness to be king as he defeats Satan in the wilderness and, and Jesus has been calling his disciples. He's been preaching in the synagogues. He has been healing. He's been performing miracles. And he's moved from Nazareth, which was his hometown, to Capernaum on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. And, uh, and it's in that area surrounding the Sea of Galilee that Jesus goes up onto a hill. And he's going to deliver the Sermon on the Mount. And the first part of the Sermon on the Mount is a, is a, is a section called the Beatitudes. And so last week, we began talking about uh, the Beatitudes. And, and Jesus is, is teaching us the character of his kingdom. If he's this great king who's come, and it bothers all the kings of the world that this new king is born, Jesus is going to be saying to people, this is what it looks like to be a citizen in my kingdom. Uh, we talked in depth last week about blessing because all these Beatitudes start with this idea that blessed are the blank, 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 right? It's all about, you know, you will be blessed. And we talked about what that blessing was last week and how, how blessing is not necessarily happiness and blessing is not necessarily wealth because those things fail. True blessing, as we discussed last week, is this idea of, of God's favor, Towards us, it's the way that God sees us, and and and, and so it's like the, the the applause of heaven. If we live our lives and desire the applause of heaven, we find true blessing. And so last week we talked about four of the beatitudes, and just just real quickly to review, uh, we, we blessed are the poor in spirit. We talked about last week. Blessed are those who grieve. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And honestly, if you missed last week, I do encourage you to go back and listen because. Jesus really is laying out the basics of Christian living. To be, poor, to be poor in spirit, as we discussed last week, is to realize that we are morally bankrupt. We're a sinner who can't save ourselves by our works. When Jesus talks about blessed are those who grieve, he's talking about people who grieve the sin in their own life. When Jesus talks about blessed are the meek, he's talking about people 
who have been tamed and become meek at the realization of the fact that they are poor in spirit or wretched sinners and they deserve nothing but God's wrath. And because they know this about themselves, they treat others with generosity and kindness instead of entitlement and arrogance. And finally, last week, we talked about what it means to hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's this idea of literally literally craving the things of God and to be satisfied in him alone. I want to continue to do work today in the Beatitudes. We're going to finish those. And I want to reread what we've just kind of read all the Beatitudes again today. So we're going to be reading Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. If you are able, I invite you now to stand as we approach and read the Word of God. And before we do, let's take a moment to be in prayer. Father, we pray for your Spirit to be with us now and to help us as we come to your Word um, We want to to understand it and to be convicted by it and to be empowered by it uh, for your kingdom purposes. We pray this in Jesus' name and the church said, amen. All right, let's read together. Beginning in verse 1. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he had sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted For righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Church, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. And this is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Well, uh, let's pick up where we left off working through these uh, Beatitudes. Uh, Look at verse 7 with me. It begins like this. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. So in other words, for us, we're working off our definition of blessedness. It's basically this idea that God looks with favor upon people who show mercy. It may be redundant, but let's ask the question, what is Mercy. Like if you had to tell people what mercy was, how would you explain that? It's not just kindness. It's not just generosity. Mercy could be defined as showing compassion to the miserable. Think about that. Showing compassion to the miserable. Showing compassion to people who are in miserable circumstances. Because the truth is, if you're not in miserable circumstances, you will not need mercy from us. Mercy is the need of of the miserable. Jesus says, when we show compassion to people in miserable circumstances, that God looks upon us with favor and he gives us his blessing. I guess the question we might ask is, so how might that play out? 
Where do you experience and where do you encounter people who are in one sense or another miserable? If we're honest, um, those people are everywhere. I remember the story, and and maybe you know her well. She lives in Rankin County. She's a realtor. Her name is uh, Teresa uh, Rankenberger. She tells a story of of meeting a man outside of a gas station one day. And uh, she soon realized that this man was, was homeless, and she bought the man some food, and they began a friendship. His name was, was Benny, and Teresa being a, a, a cute blonde real estate agent and Benny being a black man who was homeless, they kind of formed this uncanny or maybe unconventional friendship. And uh, as she talked to Benny over the, over the months, and she, would, she knew where he would hang out as a homeless man. She would go by to see him to make sure he, he was fed and he had what he needed. I don't know why God opened his heart towards Benny and, and his really misery in some ways. Um, but one thing bothered Teresa more than others, and that thing was where did Benny bathe? She was really troubled by this idea of, about where did Benny take a, take a bath? There, those are things that we don't think about often. Where do homeless people bathe? One day, she finally got the courage up to ask him. And Benny told her that, that he washed himself in the gas station bathroom sink. And that, that broke Teresa's heart. Her friend Benny didn't even have a, a proper place to wash. And, and she saw the, the misery, really, of his situation And when you encounter someone who's in that misery, what do you do? Well, most of the time, people like us, we empathize, right? We say, I'm sorry. I wish you the best. And we say things like thoughts and and prayers. That must be tough. And empathy is is safe for us. And empathy is, is cheap for us. It doesn't cost us anything. And empathy is easy for us. And we give it freely when we recognize uh, misery in other people, right? Like, like it's really easy for us to give empathy. But please understand me when I tell you this. Empathy is not mercy. To show mercy, you must act with compassion. You must step into the misery with them. And it's never clean, and it's never pretty, and it's going to cost you something personally. Well, Teresa was so concerned that that Benny was bathing in a sink that she did something about it. She she sacrificed for him. She crawled into the mess with him. Uh, She didn't say thoughts and prayers. She saw his misery, and she did something to ease it. And what it was was really unconventional and kind of out of the box. She ended up buying a big a big box truck, you're right? I don't know, like, you know, she, she bought a big box truck and she, she met a man that sold her the box truck that told her that he could help her convert that big box truck into a mobile shower. And uh, he, he told her, well, we could put two showers in the back here. She said, I only need one. And he goes, well, two's not that, more, not that much more expensive. So they took this mobile box truck in the back of it, they put two mobile showers and it all led to the creation of Shower Power Mississippi. I don't know if you're familiar with that ministry. It's one of, one of Lakeside's mission partners. And, and according to the Shower Power website, that truck has been used to provide over 3,500 showers to the homeless population of Jackson. The story illustrates what the Lord does by our mercy. And it, is, it really is a tremendous story of mercy. 
But I can think of one story of mercy that is even better. In this story, a man falls into the hands of bandits. He's left for dead on the side of the road. Until a Levite walks by and sees the man in his misery. And the Levite doesn't stop though. He just passes by. He just walks to the far side of the road as to not get too close. And I bet you that Levite probably thought to himself, man, God bless that guy. I'm really empathetic to what he's going through, laying over there all bloody and beat up. Thoughts and prayers, buddy. And soon after, a priest strolls by. And the priest doesn't stop either. He just passes by on the far side of the road. And you know the story. Eventually, a Samaritan man comes by, and that Samaritan sees the poor man in his misery, and the Samaritan alone shows him compassion. You see, the Samaritan's willing to get dirty. He's willing to climb into the misery with the man, and he he puts the man on his own horse, and he takes the man to an inn, and he leaves money for this man's care. Here's the deal. Mercy is not empathy. Mercy is when you act to relieve misery. And Jesus says to his disciples up here in the Sermon of the Mount, up up beside the Sea of Galilee, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. You you see, I thank God that the Lord was, that that he wasn't just empathetic to our sin. right? It, It was more than that. The Father found you in your misery and he had compassion. You know, in the story of the Good Samaritan, You're the guy who's bleeding on the side of the road. You're the one in need of saving and and who has misery. And Jesus climbed into the mess and filth with you. And he, he paid the price to heal your miserable sin. Empathy is a cheap substitute for mercy. Those who are truly God's people will show mercy because they have been shown mercy. And in the end, they too will be shown mercy on the day of judgment. Verse 8 says this. Let's put it up here. Verse 8. As we keep moving through the Beatitudes. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. What does it mean to say something is pure, right? Um, It means that there's there's no pollutants in it, no no impurities at all. Think of uh, maybe the, the purest water ever, the, the, the purest glass of water, you got a really clean glass of water, it's been, it's been purified a hundred times, it's been boiled, everything else has been removed, it's crystal clear. Or, or gold, think about gold which has been so refined that every last drop of impurities have been remo- removed for it, from it and what's left is just 100% gold. And that idea of, of purity, it's attributed to our hearts. The, the idea is this, your heart is, is purely, 100% purely devoted to God alone. There's no other traces in there, no pollutants of devotion to anything else. It, your heart is 100% pure in its devotion to God. You have no mixed worship, no mixed loyalties. Now the challenge with this is that the human heart is actually the source of all of our problems. Uh, the problem isn't for you that the devil made you do it. The problem is that you have a wicked heart. 
The human heart is it's filthy. It's full of pollutants. And, and it wants to worship everything and not be loyal or pure to God. Jeremiah knew this. And, and the prophet says in, in Jeremiah 17, 9, it says this. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, I was reading a, a, a quote. And, and, and a Russian novelist once wrote this. I thought it was very very true. He says, I don't know what the heart of a bad man is like. He says, I know the heart of a good man. And I know what a heart of a good man is like. And it's terrible. Once again, you are like the, the man on the side of the road. You're in a miserable situation. You have no hope for salvation. And you have no hope for having a pure heart. But in his great mercy, the Lord does a work in the heart of his people. Jesus told Nicodemus that that, that work is like being born a second time. And th this is how Jesus describes the work of the Holy Spirit. It's not that God fixes your filthy heart. It's that you're born again and given a new heart. Jesus says, blessed are the pure of heart, for they will see God. They can see God. Can you imagine that? Look at, look at 1 John 3, 2 through 3. Let's see what that says there. It says, says this, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Here's what this, here's what's funny about this verse. It, it's talking about the second coming of Jesus, right? And it says that when Jesus comes or when he appears, we're going to be like him and we will see him with our own eyes and, and we will have a purity that is like his, which is, I find that really crazy to think about, that we would have a purity that would be like Jesus. Here's what I'll say about this beatitude. You do not have a pure heart. Your only hope is to put your hope in Christ and to be filled by his spirit in such a way that it's like you're born again a second time and that you're made pure for his glory. We need to keep moving so that we can address the rest of these beatitudes. Let's keep moving and let's take a look at verse 9, which says this. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers... For they shall be called sons of God. Another way to hear that verse is that those who are not peacemakers, think about this. Just think about the inverse. Those who are not peacemakers shall not be called sons of God. And we don't like that, right? The, the suggestion that not everyone is a child of God, that, that, bothers, that bothers us. But it, it's still a logical understanding of what Jesus is saying Really, we can apply that same logic throughout all of the Beatitudes. If you're poor in spirit, the kingdom of heaven is not, if, excuse me, if you're not poor in spirit, the kingdom of heaven is not yours. If you do not mourn your sin, you will never be comforted by his spirit. If you are not meek, you will in not inherit the earth. If you don't hunger and thirst for God, you will never be satisfied. 
If you are not merciful, you will not find mercy. If your heart is not pure, you will not see God. And if you are not a peacemaker, you are not a son of God. And this idea of being a peacemaker, it's not a passive concept, right? It doesn't say blessed are those who experience peace or who feel peace or who avoid fights. It says blessed are those who make peace. They're they're peacemakers. A, A peacemaker is actually a source themselves. They are a source of peace because they are a child of God. In your family, in your workspace, in your community, citizens of the kingdom of heaven make peace. And listen, that does not always mean that we avoid conflict. It really depends on how you understand that word peace, right? The Jew would understand that word peace differently than a hippie. The hippies love this verse, to be honest with you. They love it, man. Blessed are the peacemakers, man. Stop war. I mean, that's, that's the way that the hippies understand this verse. And I'm not really like, like, I'm not against that idea. Like, I hate war too. I'm not a big yay war guy. But, but it, that is not a complete understanding of biblical peace. For the Jew, there was this concept of, of shalom. Y'all have heard that word before. Shalom is, is often the Hebrew word that's translated as peace. And to wish someone shalom was more than to wish someone had no conflict in their life, right? That's what, uh, that there was no war, that there were no fights for them. To have shalom in your life is to have wholeness. It was to have well-being. It, w- it was to be safe and to be secure. It was about welfare and tranquility and completeness. So properly understood, Jesus isn't saying, blessed are those who don't get into fights. It's more than that, isn't it? That's not the fullness of shalom. That's not the biblical understanding of peace. A peacemaker is someone, listen, who makes others whole. Who makes others secure. Who makes others complete. A peacemaker makes those around them whole. I think you know who the the Prince of Peace is, right? Christ is the ultimate peacemaker. And the ultimate expression of being a son or daughter of God is that you also work for the well-being and the shalom of everyone that you encounter. If the well-being and the the shalom of others is, is always your focus, you will sometimes find yourself in conflict. Think about that. Isn't it ironic that, 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 that being a peacemaker in a biblical understanding of the word peace will sometimes lead you into conflict? And, and you may say, Tyson, that, that doesn't make sense. What are you talking about? Okay, let, let's create a scenario. Maybe we'll just create it. We'll create one. You have a grown son whom you love, okay? They have a very unfortunate addiction to drugs. If you think blessed are the peacemakers means... That God is pleased when you do not ever get into arguments. You will never speak to your son about their struggles. Because you know it will cause an argument. But if you think peacemakers are those who are committed to the wholeness and well-being of everyone around them, then you're willing to have tough conversations because sometimes the road to well-being is paved with conflict. 
Does that make sense? If you're just trying to avoid fights, you will never speak to others about the Lord. Never. You will never share the gospel. You will never tell anyone anything that they do not want to hear. You will never address brokenness in your community. You will never leave people unwhole and incomplete. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. You see, peacemaking is the business of God's people. And if you're committed, if you're someone who really is committed to making peace in this world, then it will cause you to experience conflict and persecution. Do you recognize this? And that's why Jesus, when he kind of gets to this point, he ends the Beatitudes uh, by saying in verses 10 uh, uh, through 12 this. Follow with me, verses 10 through 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. If you are doing kingdom living the right way, if you are living upon the teachings of Jesus, if you're truly merciful, if you're truly pure in heart, if you're committed to being someone who makes people whole, you will be persecuted. Others will revile you. And that word revile, it means to insult you with anger. They will, they will angrily insult you if you live this way. This idea that being a peacemaker, I think, I think people have a, a concept that like if you're a, if you're a peacemaker, you get to live in, in, in harmony with everybody. Listen, if that was the case, we would look at Jesus as the great prince of peace and everyone we see in the biblical account would just get along with Jesus and, 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 and Jesus would, would have a very peaceful existence, but that's not the case. Jesus comes and he lives a life for us to emulate and he's persecuted for it. Look what, look what Jesus tells us we can expect. It's John 15, 18 through 19. Read it with me. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. The logic is this. If you live the way Jesus teaches in the Beatitudes, if you live like a citizen of heaven, you should expect to be persecuted in the same way that Jesus was persecuted. And the funny thing is this. Very few of us ever experience that persecution. Do you wonder why that is? The reason for most of us, really it's, it's twofold. There's two reasons why most of us don't experience persecution. I'd say the first is that, that some of us never leave the confines of the church community. And what I mean by that is, is that we spend all of our time with Christians. Our kids go to Christian schools we play golf with Christian friends. If we were given the option, we would go shop at a Christian grocery store and we would go to a Christian gym if we were given the option, right? And in, in this way, we're insulated from that persecution. We seal ourselves off from the rest of the world. 
But when we do this, we also are insulated from being a witness to the world. Sure, I mean, we avoid persecution, but we also avoid evangelism at the same time. And the second reason that, that we don't experience persecution is this. It's not that you avoid the world. You're, you're out there. It's just you don't look any different from the world. If you live like the citizens of this world, just kind of like Jesus said, the world's not going to hate you. So what we do is we, we laugh at the humor of this world. And we immerse ourselves in the entertainment of this world. We, when God is mocked, we snicker and laugh along with the world. We stay silent when people suggest that all religions lead to heaven. We make no moral judgments on the world. We take no stands on ethical and political issues. And above all, we don't share our faith so as not to make anyone uncomfortable. And when the church is not the church, there will be no persecution that comes our way. But if we are the church scattered, and we go into the world, and we act like peacemakers, and we're merciful, and we, and we hunger and thirst for righteousness, we will be persecuted for supporting a different king than the world supports. It's difficult to rejoice in persecution. But that's what Jesus says that we should do. Um, when, when we're persecuted for righteousness, sake, we should rejoice in that. And, and listen, there's a lot of Christians who are persecuted. And sometimes they're persecuted for having a bad personality or being a jerk or going about the things of God in a really unhealthy way. This is really clear. When you're persecuted for righteousness' sake, we should rejoice in that. Jesus says, rejoice for your reward is in heaven. Look again at verse 12. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. My friends, life is fleeting. Our years go by in a flash, and then we spend eternity with the Lord. Jesus is talking to his disciples. These are men who, with very few exceptions, will be killed for following a different king. So let me ask you this. Have you experienced persecution for following King Jesus? If so, rejoice, my friend. Your reward is in heaven. If not, if you've never experienced persecution for following King Jesus, why is that? Are you not in the world at all? Are you so insulated in the church as to never experience uh, the persecution of the world for following Jesus? Or have, have we all completely retreated in the church? Or is it because we just simply look like the world? Let me end by saying this. Jesus is the great king of kings. When Jesus comes into this world, his very presence threatens the kings of men. In the Beatitudes, Jesus calls his people to be set apart from the world and instead to be citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus shows his people how to have true blessing, how to have the applause of heaven for the way that they live their life. And he sends us out into the world 
humbled by our sins, meek towards others, craving righteousness, full of mercy and pure of heart in order to strive to be peacemakers. And the world will hate that about us. And they will persecute us because we serve a different king. But Jesus tells his disciples to rejoice when that persecution comes because their reward is in heaven. Which king will you follow? And will you choose the blessing of God and the reward of heaven or the favor of men and the comfort of silence? Choose for you this day who you will follow. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for Matthew's account of Jesus in which we see this great King of kings, Christ our Lord. We thank you for the calling of his disciples where he calls his first citizens of his kingdom. And we thank you for this beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, which he begins laying out what it looks like to live and belong to his kingship and his rule and his kingdom. God, examine our hearts. Do we truly follow the kingship of Jesus? And if so, are we committed to his, his call to go and be salt and light, to go and, and, and to make disciples of all nations? Are we in the world acting as followers of, of the king that we too might receive the same rejection and persecution that Jesus did? And if not, why is that? May your spirit bring conviction, Father. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus, our king, and all the church said, Amen.